listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the first part of our series on heaven. I'm so excited that you're here. I think that God has something for all of us in the room today. I know first service was absolutely on fire about it. I think that all of these weeks of this series are going to build because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven. And I have found this. People want to know what happens when you die. Uh, There's so many books and TV shows and movies that are out there that involve the afterlife. In fact, my family will be dressing up as the Ghostbusters on the 19th of this month, and we will be seeing Ghostbusters afterlife. Don't take your theology from that, but uh, it it is out there, right? The world is interested. And uh, it's no longer okay just to have a movie called Pretty in Pink and it's a love story. They have to be vampires and and fall in love for our generation to actually care about it. And and it just shows you that there's a desire for supernatural things, yeah? It's, It's all over the place. And we're curious, and at the same time, I think that we're in denial. We don't want to think about our death. Like, I want to know what's going to happen, but I don't even want to talk about me dying. That's not my favorite. And that's ironic to me because there's a really high percentage chance it's going to affect you. (laughs) Throwing it out there. I was afraid y'all weren't going to catch that one. But I heard a story about some uh, guys, and they were playing a card game. And uh, the one guy was dealing, and he said, guys, I've just been thinking about life, and I just wonder, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And the one guy is getting his cards, and he says, well, man, I... I want them to look down at the box and say, that was a great medical doctor. He saved thousands of lives. And the other guy said, well, that's good, but he's kind of putting shade on his buddy. And he said, I want people to say he was a great husband and a devoted father to his kids. The other guy was kind of quiet. And they said, buddy, what, what, what would you say? What do you want people to say at your funeral? And he said, I want them to look down at that box and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> we can't live in denial. We need to accept the fact that we will die if the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime, and and we're going to face that. And and there is a stat out there. It blew me away when I found out that uh, every second, three people die. In the time it took me to say that sentence, three people left earth and went into eternity. 180 people die every single minute. Within this church service alone, in between 11,000 and 12,000 people will leave planet Earth and go into eternity. It's, it, it blows your mind. I want to give you some perspective on those numbers because it's kind of hard to fathom. In the triangle, the Grand Rapids metropolitan area, so Grand Rapids, Muskegon, and in Holland, there's about a million people in the metropolitan area. Did you know every four days we lose one million people off this earth? Now that puts it into context, doesn't it? Now, of course, it's not all in this one area. It's all over the world, and it's all happening at different times. I think in social media, we probably have noticed more of our friends and family that have died or or talk about a loved one that have passed away than before all of it. And even with that awareness, it's hard to wrap our minds around 250,000 deaths a day. 
That's a lot, isn't it? But you're going to face eternity. And yet so many people give, give such little or no serious thought to how they're going to face eternity. They're not sure. And people gamble with the most important thing that they have. I mean, Jesus said this was of the utmost importance. Should a man gain the whole world and lose his soul? Think about that. That's why it's so important where, where, where you should resolve in your heart where your eternal home is going to be. And I'm here to tell you that, 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 that you better not base it on whether you were a good person or not, and many do. Friend, I got to tell you, your destination of, of heaven or hell has nothing to do with whether you were a good doobie or not. You didn't smoke or chew or go with girls that do, okay? Like, it's whether or not you responded to Jesus the right way. Like, did you make Jesus Christ Lord? Can I hear an amen? And even among believers, though, people have misconceptions and misideas about eternity, and it can be scary. We don't want to go there. My wife grew up in a pastor's home, loved God, but for most of her childhood, her mother had cancer. And talk about eternity, even talk about heaven, you know, this was her perception of it all. It felt like it was admitting defeat or, or that it was taboo to do because we don't even want to go there. Let's, let's win this battle first. And listen, I'm a faith guy, but talking about eternity is not a denial of, of some of the blessing and answers of prayer I want in the here and now, right? It, it, if anything, it reinforces it. But people come up with wild ideas about it. They avoid it. Somebody came up to me one time and they said, Pastor Joe, I've heard that heaven is, is just like the art that I saw on vacation. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's a whole bunch of fat babies with wings flying around playing a harp. I said, buddy, you're describing hell. That's, take it from a father of four. I'm just telling you right now, they need to grow up in heaven. They can't stay that way. And we get these, these perspectives about eternity that I think are are, are fear-based, they're based on old wives' tales, and they're not based on Scripture. I found this cartoon, uh, cartoon. go ahead and throw up there, guys. Wish I'd brought a magazine. This is the person that just thinks that they're going to go up into, I don't know, some sort of like ooze in the sky. It's all fog, and I'm floating, and what am I doing up there? And by the way, praise break, my boys got to watch the movie Hook, 1991 classic for the first time last night. Come on, I'm the dad of the year. And I still get chills when I see Peter Pan flying through the air because I love that whole idea. I, I love the idea of flying. In fact, I think that when I accepted Christ, just to be honest, I did it because I didn't want to go to hell, but I also don't know if I wanted to go to heaven. My thoughts about heaven were that it would just be this unending, never-ending church service. And I went to Rusty Nail Community Church out in the middle of nowhere where we had wood pews I mean, Rock of Ages was a brand new song, chart topper, like nothing was going on. Uh, everybody was over 70 but me, and they're describing heaven, and I'm like, you know, take it or leave it, whatever, you know, it's not hell. It's not hell. We get these ideas that heaven's going to be boring. I've even heard people, people I grew up in, people from my hometown say, I want to go to hell. That's where all the fun is, friend. Maybe we should even spend a week on that in this series. Granville might not love it, but all things being equal, you don't want to go to hell. But we also have this thought that heaven is boring and that when you accept Christ, it's going to be boring. And the furthest thing 
could be true. That, that, that doesn't even resemble what you'll read about in Scripture. And when, if somebody would have asked me, I, I, I've imagined this, do you want to go to heaven? I don't know what I would have responded with, thinking all of those thoughts. Well, where do you want to go? I, I probably would have said, I like to fly. My dad was a pilot. I, I'd love to go up in the air. I like to swim. I like to go back to summer camp. I like those type of experiences, but I don't know if I want to go to heaven. And would it surprise you that for my study of Scripture, heaven is shown far more like going to the park or going to camp or enjoying time with family than it is a non-ending church service altogether. Though thought about our life after this might be a little bit daunting, can be a little bit challenging. I want to read this for you out of Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. Put it this way, since you're born again, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Uh, other translations might say, put your affections on things above. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Friend... You are literally commanded by God to imagine heaven, to have your faith set up there, to, to have your focus on eternal things and not just this life. And in this series, what I'm going to do is work hard to bring clarity about what heaven looks like. Now, as we talk about the subject of heaven, one of the best ways to understand why it's even important to begin to imagine it or to visualize it like the scripture says is to actually see what the enemy says about it. The enemy of your soul actually has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about eternity, and I want to read it for you out of the book of Revelation, chapter 13. The Bible says that the beast, uh, and you know what, pause for a second, everybody look at me, the beast, who are we talking about? No, we're not talking about your mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this is Bible language, and it's talking about Antichrist. Now, the spirit of Antichrist has existed all through the, the past several thousands of years. I'm convinced Adolf Hitler wanted to be the Antichrist. It wasn't his time. The spirit has existed, but there will be an actual figure. So not just symbolism, a person. And this person, by the way, will, will be the second person described in the Bible, to only be two, to be directly possessed by the devil. The first one was Judas Iscariot, who betrayed our Lord. And the second one, to be possessed by the devil, the only other one. There's plenty of other people that get possessed along the way. They mainly live in Washington. But, um, <laughs> wow, right? I love my church. Anyway, you know, um, Zuckerberg's going to hate that, though. I wish you wouldn't have done it. But anyway, the second person is the Antichrist, also called Beast inside the Bible. So when you're reading this, it is the Antichrist, the person, but it is also talking about the devil speaking through him. So let me read it. The beast was allowed to speak arrogant and blasphemous things. It uttered blasphemies against God, against God's name, and against his residence. That is against those who are living in heaven. Party foul. I come from the North Country, and we used to call it getting into it with somebody. Anybody else use that phraseology besides just me? Oh, how pious. Perfect. Okay. We'd get into little tiffs here and there, or you hear about somebody that, well, they got into it, you know. I've heard that happen, and somebody calls somebody else a monkey's uncle and, and worse. I've never heard anybody take somebody else's inventory and then say, yeah, in your house is awful. I hate the street that it's on. Your garage door doesn't have windows. 
I mean, it's awful. I hate every roommate. I mean, you've never heard anybody talk smack about one person. It's goofy. And then go right on to where they live. But yet, the Bible says that Satan is doing that. Why does he go there? Why does he attack God's house? It's because he was kicked out of there. He was there. See, your enemy, Lucifer, was one of three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. He was an anointed son of God. And without temptation, mind-blowing, because we face temptation, without temptation, he rebelled against God. Let me read it for you out of Isaiah. Isaiah 14, the Bible says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. He was, a, he was a beautiful. Bible calls him an angel of light. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Stars there as angels. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I want to give us a couple thoughts about this. The first thought is this. Heaven is a real place. I, I just want us to get that down in this series. Write that down. Heaven is a real place. It's not a, a, a like a figment of someone's imagination. It's not a dream. It's not something that's a metaphysical abstraction, a theological conception. Jesus did not pray, our Father who art in my head, he said, our Father who art in heaven, heaven is a physical place. You say, well, Pastor Joe, how do we get there? Though you can't perceive heaven in this earth with your five senses, it's not in this dimension, but it is just as real as this world. In fact, in later parts of the series, we'll really break that down, but let me put it this way. What's more real, the world that created this world or this world? I'm telling you, heaven's more real. There's more beautiful mountains. There's more beautiful terrain and residence in heaven than there is here on earth. And so we need to realize that it is a real thing. And though not in this dimension, it does exist physically. Write it down. Heaven exists to the north of the earth. Again, if you had a spaceship and you kept on going north, you're not going to hit the wall of heaven. But in another dimension, it exists north of earth and closer than the air that you even breathe. The Bible is described uh, a heaven to be a city. Write that down. It's also described to be a country. So you have this, this word picture in Scripture that it is a city. It's like a city-state. It's also town and country. You've got fields. It describes mountainous areas there. All of that. And while I'm on that, have you ever noticed that Microsoft Word does not make you capitalize the word heaven? If heaven is a city, and we capitalize cities like Grand Rapids, and how about this one, Chicago, is that even a real thing anymore? If we're capitalizing Chicago, we should capitalize the word heaven. It's a city. It's God's capital city. It's a place. Can I hear an amen? We need to realize that it is a real place, and the devil knows that if God's people begin to become mindful of heaven, it will transform their lives. Why does he cast shade on heaven? Why is he talking smack against God's residence? It's because it represents the place of his rejection, the place of his pride, and it represents an incredible threat to his work. Wow. Now, Satan loves that there's misconceptions in the air about heaven, but not all of the misconceptions about heaven are from the devil. Some of them, the church, 
and preachers have done a pretty good job about putting them out there. Let me just ask you if you've heard of this one. When you get to heaven, you're not going to know anybody when you get there. Anybody ever heard that one? Not going to know anybody. I heard that when I was five years old. That scared the fire out of me. I'm five, and they're talking about we're going to go to a better place. You're not going to know anybody. I'm not going to know my mom. I'm not going to know, like, anybody. Is anybody going to know to take care of me? I mean, that was mind-blowing. Later in the series, I will easily debunk that myth. It's an old wives' tale. And let me just say this as a little bit of taste on all of that. The Bible says that when Jacob died, he was gathered to his father's. Familiar relationships don't go away because you're in heaven. Although we will still be able to grow in heaven, there'll be a level of enlightenment on your life where you'll actually be able to recall everybody's name. I'm believing God for a little spill over that in this life. In Jesus' name. (laughs) How about this myth? Some church people have heard this one. Well, doesn't the Bible say that Paul went up to the third heaven and that we're not supposed to talk about heaven at all? It is true. Paul went to the third heaven, and he saw things up there that God said, I don't want you to talk about these certain things. Who said that? God said it to Paul. That's Paul's burden to bear. That wasn't everybody's. I could show you the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, who who hears from the Spirit of God at the very first onset of that book, that he should write these things down in a scroll, all that he hears. And the Bible says that he was caught up to the same third heaven that Paul was there. Now, Paul saw things in heaven that had to deal with his ministry and maybe some mysteries. We do know this. There's one area in the Bible where John, the apostle, he said, God told me not to talk about this one thing. Do you know what that thing has to do with? It's a a particular way that God is going to deal with Satan, and he wants to keep him guessing until the day of. That's what it's all about. But you have John talking in detail about heaven. Jesus talked about heaven. Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Isaiah in the Old Testament. All over. So this whole religious idea that we're not allowed to talk about heaven, that was Paul wasn't allowed to talk about certain things he saw in heaven. Don't don't throw the baby out with that bathwater. How about this one? I would hear this one growing up. First service was a little bit rusty with it. Maybe you've heard it. My granny would say it to me. That guy's so heavenly-minded... He's of no earthly good. Thank you, my people. Okay. What does that even mean? Oh, he's got his head in the clouds. He's he's a dreamer. He's thinking, a chapter and verse, somebody. Like, that's not in the Bible. But we have this idea that thinking about heaven is a waste of time. It's a waste of good resources. And and it it makes it so, so heaven is ambiguous and distant and foggy with naked babies with harps. And we're content to leave it there. But God has more. Say amen, somebody. I want to read for you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Maybe you knew him from like The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. He wrote those novels. They were books before they were movies. He wrote this. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. So think about that. Some of the areas of your life where you might have felt a little bit down, you're like, "Ah, that would have been time for you to focus on eternity and what God has. I'm not diminishing people going through real things in life. What I am saying is 
some of the pressures we feel might be a misdiagnosed pressure that we should actually find hope in heaven and hope in eternity. And the pressures, we think it has to do with the world and it has to do with the fact we haven't set our hearts on what God has for us. Say amen, somebody. And, and so we are so wrapped up in this world. I think about it. I mean, seven days a week, Kaya makes me take a shower. My gosh. I got to go in front of that mirror, and I'm, I'm getting everything together. I'm telling you, I'm getting ready to donate my body to science when I die, science fiction, because it's becoming more and more difficult just to look average. And, but think about it. You spend so much time putting yourself together, and then for what? To go to work. Well, you're working so that you can own a house and have some food or pay the rent or whatever it is, and then you get home. And I'm telling you, try having 155 kids in a couple years like I did, and, and it's just like by 8 o'clock when they go to sleep, you're like, you know what? The bed sounds great. Sound good to you? Kai and I high five, and boom. That was part of the problem. We've resolved some of that. But I will say, <laughs> I had a license to do that, but here's what I'm trying to say with all of that. You spend so much of your life working on living, and then next day, rinse and repeat. Here we go, here we go, here we go. And, 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 and think about that. We're so wrapped up in the way that this world works. The Apostle Paul was trying to convey in 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, if you have a Bible, turn there. We'll spend most of our time there for the, for the rest of the service, the rest of the time we have. But the Apostle Paul was trying to convey to the Corinthian church that there is a life after this one, that our bodies are going to be resurrected from the dead and not like, not like some zombie movie. We're going to have glorified bodies. And he's trying to convey to them that there's an eternity with God. And when he's doing it, he's using language that I'm going to take right out of context. I'm just you know, be forewarned. He's using language to make a point, drawing a contrasting point by saying some pretty severe things. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable? That was not on your grandma's fridge when you were growing up. What is he saying there? See, he's talking to people who are former Pharisees and former Sadducees. If Jesus was part of any denomination, we believe that he would have lined up with the Pharisees. That's where a lot of his doctrine was, even though he corrected a lot of their religiosity. He was not of the brand of Sadducees. Let me explain what those guys were all about. They were all about keeping the law. They were all about being a good doobie, but they didn't believe in a life after death. There was no eternity, and there certainly then was not a resurrection of the dead. Here's the fun Bible school way that you can remember it. They didn't believe in resurrection, so they were sad, you see. <laughs> see what I did there? They're not all winners, are they? Some win, some lose, some are called for rain, I guess. But the idea is that he's trying to draw this big contrast, and he's trying to say, look, if you only acknowledge him as Messiah so that we can be good doobies, and then we just all die and it's done, it doesn't make any sense. You should be of most misery. So yes, Jesus came. We should have our hope in him in this life. But along with Jesus comes a lot of cool stuff, like eternity in heaven and more. But, 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 but there's a resurrection of the dead. He even says this scripture in uh, verse 32 of chapter 15, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise 
let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. Well, there's some encouraging words, Paul. Again, trying to draw contrast in between somebody who has an eternal perspective and understands there's a heaven to gain and somebody that's living through this life and has no perspective of eternity in their life. And I got to tell you, I am concerned. I'm concerned for the church global. I'm concerned for my church, you. Because without the eternal perspective, I've seen so many people just let their life, it just gets loose. And it's affected our behavior and our approach to people, our love walk, our approach to civic involvement, our approach to being part of the church and being plugged in. It's affected the way that we treat people in the worst way. The Bible says that in the last days, the love of many would wax cold. And I'm so concerned that that's happened. When I'm in Meyer sometimes... <laughs> I don't know if Kyle likes being with me all the time, but like I'm, I'm still uh, back in like 1995 where we say hi to people. <laughs> I come from a small town where everybody knew you're everything, you know, and so I'm, I'm saying hi to people. And, and in the last year especially, you either have the people that are like, hi, and they'll talk to you, like they're coming out of their box because of everything that happened, you know what I'm talking about, or you've got the people that are like bringing their kids closer and like like shooing away from the pastor. I'm like, smile on a brother, you know, but I'm trying to love on people still. I'm, I'm trying to not like go online shopping in person, you know, and just be cold and sterile. But in so many ways, the church of Jesus Christ has become that way. We're just happy that we can come in here and be right. And listen, I know what it's like to be right, but, 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 but that can't be what we take solace in. There's more out there. We've got to show the love of God to people. Say amen, somebody. And so this should not be. Our actions in the here and now become rendered meaningless. We can't see past our nose. We're doing this rinse and repeat lifestyle. We're not taking ground because we don't have eternal perspectives on these things, and it shouldn't be. When I was reading this passage this week, I saw something I had never seen before. It was this correlation in between this middle part of the passage we just read, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, and the end I'll talk about in a second. But I could draw three things from when Paul is saying that. He's not being flippant with his words. He might be trying to draw contrast, showing a little attitude in this, but it wasn't by mistake. He says, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Write this down. Without an eternal perspective of heaven, write this down, we fill up on unfulfilling things. He says that we eat. Now, God's not telling you that you shouldn't eat. We all need to eat. But this is talking about like your Thanksgiving perspective, but like living your life by that. We all know what it's like. We're planning to sin, okay? I'm just be honest with you. I've already gone and, and received forgiveness. I have absolution. I'm going to eat a lot of food on Thursday, third Thursday of, uh, of November. It's going to be Thanksgiving. I'm going to give God a food offering as unto the Lord. But it's one thing to have a day and eat too much pecan pie. And it's another thing just to like... More and more and more. And, and I'm not talking about eating in this. I'm talking about being this person that's trying to fill the deficit in your life, that, that spiritual, that soulish deficit with external things. You're trying to fill it with stuff. You're trying to fill it with career, another notch in your belt. You're trying to say, I accomplished this or, or I have these friends or whatever it is. And you're taking externals and trying to put them on the inside of you. And I'm here to tell you, it'll never fulfill you. 
You'll never be happy in the world. It doesn't have the capacity to fulfill you. If anything, it exasperates the need for more. It's kind of like at Thanksgiving. Your stomach stretches out a little bit. You're like, I didn't eat that much. And it's like, honey, you eaten. You know, like you don't realize what you're eating. That's how it is. It's deceiving. Your stomach begins to stretch out and you're just... And that leads us to the next thing. And what's that? Write it down. (laughs) We fill up on unfulfilling things, but we're also intoxicated by the world's system. What is that? It says, eat and drink. And I'm not getting after those of you that have a sip. That's not my battle today. Here's what I'm trying to say. That stuff you're taking in is intoxicating. There is an element of relief in your life if you can ignore the future, ignore what's going to happen. There's no eternal perspective because it's actually comforting only worrying about this. You'll even misuse scriptures and say, well, the Bible says sufficient for the day is the trouble therein, so I'm just going to live my own little bubble and not make a difference with anything because it's all about me. That's you finishing the sentence. It's deceiving. It's intoxicating. And yet, we have this pull towards something greater, a pull towards eternity. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that he has set eternity in the heart of man. There's something in you that the more that you nom, 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 and the more that you drink in of this world, you're trying to take external things internal. And then those internal things, you're trying to put them out external like you got it all together. It will never fulfill you. But eternity is still the pole, and so there's still a void to fill. Wow. Then what happens? Ultimately, we overfill. That intoxication on life becomes deceiving. We get caught in the window of where we're at, and you become tipsy. You're not sure-footed like you were before. When you were younger, you had this definite purpose. This is what I'm going to do. And then you're just happy with whatever comes your I just don't want any more drama. I just don't want any more fighting. Sound familiar? Just tired of fighting for everything. Buddy, that's life. But when you don't have an eternal perspective, you're just done with all of it, and you become sick on life. And that depression that we feel so often sets in, and again, is it misdiagnosed pull towards eternity? Third thing, without an eternal perspective, if you don't have your eyes on heaven, your emptiness that you're experiencing is going to make you reckless. Oh, who cares? It's Thanksgiving. Let's eat whatever we want. Okay? Okay? Have you ever gotten some bad news? Just forget it. Let's just, let's just do this. Let's go, let's go use the credit card. I don't care. Let's just go. Do, I, 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 let's get what we want. I don't care what happened. We become reckless. We're filling up on things that can't fill us. It's making us deceived, intoxicated by the world's way. And then ultimately, we just throw caution to the wind. We go out there and charge our future at the expense of our future, and that's not just financial. We resign happiness for later, and we just sit in front of a TV and live life. Boy, this is an encouraging message, Pastor Joe. There's more. God has more. Our actions deceive us. We become reckless with relationship, reckless with finances, and chiefly reckless even with our time. And friend, you can't be reckless with your time. Ephesians, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. Again, just sum it up. You're born again. Walk like it, right? Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. It means be careful how you live. Not as fools, 
but as the wise. This is not the Bible calling you a fool from inner city Nuevo, you know? I mean, it's not fighting words. It's saying, listen, Christian, you can be fooled. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time. Days are evil. What does that mean? I feel like summer just started. It's June. Let's open the pool. And it's like time to buy a turkey. The days are flying by faster than a runner. The Bible says your life is a vapor. It's here a minute and then it's gone. My dad passed away last year. He was in his 80s. I remember talking to my dad, and he said, Joe, he was in a wheelchair towards the end of his life. He got out of his wheelchair to kind of get ready in the morning at the medicine cabinet, and he looked at himself in the mirror and said, I don't recognize that. He started laughing. He said, it look, I look like a melted candle, is, is what he said. <laughs> he said, consciously, I feel like I'm 18. Not physically. I got aches and pains, but consciously, he said, I feel like I'm 18 years old. And so you could see that there's this pull towards eternity, that we've got more time, that things are always going to continue as they are, but they're not. Your days are flying by. Have you taken an inventory of your life? Where are you at? Is your mind on eternity? And then you work your way back. Okay, when, when I'm at 60 years old, how am I going to land this ship? What kind of family am I going to have? How many kids am I going to have? Where are my grandkids going to be going to school? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm working back forward. Make sense, everybody? And that's what Jesus is saying is because the days are evil. They're going by quicker than you think. Wow. And so as you read the chapter, and I would encourage everybody, if you like extra homework, take it. The whole chapter will take you a whole seven minutes to read. I read it into my little microphone, my voice memos, and played it back to myself a couple times. Seven minutes is how long it'll take you. It is, it is beautiful. It, it, Paul, he talks about the resurrection of the dead, the glorified body, Christ's victory over it all. It's an incredible, incredible thing altogether. But in the process of it, he cements the fact that eternity is a certainty. He ends the whole chapter like this, verse 56. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 58, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is not written to preachers. It's written to Christians. So here's the correlation I saw. Blew my mind. God you're telling us to put our perspective, our focus on heaven in this chapter. You contend that if we don't, we'll just be eating and drinking, and, and then we're going to die. We'll be reckless. But those three points, eat, drink, and tomorrow we die, line up with steadfast, immovable, and always abounding. And I saw it with an eternal perspective. Write it down. Number one, our hearts are resolved. Guys, we have to imagine heaven. We have to stop making heaven an afterthought because when we can actually stop taking external things in the world to try to fill us up, it never does. And we take, hey, God, my future is in your hands. I have eternity with you. I trust you. I'm in relationship with you. You've promised me good things. I'm going through something, but whatever happens... I can trust you. With that perspective, friend, you'll be resolved through anything you go through. 
How many people in the room, just be honest, you've ever gone through something? Looking for 100% participation. Yeah. <laughs> Fairly common. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Old Testament. How about New Testament? John, I think, oh, 16, 15. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I believe, I believe in God's promises for you. I believe in God's blessing in your life. I believe that, that those promises can be stood on and you can be a victorious person in this life. But listen to me. Whether that happens or not, whether or not you get that better now, if your heart is in a better place, you will be resolved in anything that you go through. Can I hear an amen, somebody? That's weak. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Your boy's working up here. I'm just saying. That's why we do New Chapel Connect. That's why you're going to hear about it every week as long as you attend here. It's because I want you to be a part of this church. Hear the vision of it. Find out what your gifts and talents are. Begin to leverage them for influence in God because you need to be resolved. Just share the freedom you have in other people's lives. So the first thing is this, internal resolve. The second thing is our faith affects our actions. So, so we're not going to eat the world's stuff. We're going to take in what God has and be resolved. And then what comes out of me, steadfast is internal, immovable is on the outside. Now you're tough. You know what it is? When, when, you're, when you're not actually resolved in God, it's just bravado. It's moxie. You can even can attach Christianese to it. It's still empty. But when you are resolved on the inside, on the outside, I've seen people that are, are, are you know, forceful or loud or, you know, they, they, they have a demonstrative type A type edge to them. But I've also watched some people who are very mild-mannered, very sweet, in fact, that don't take crap from nobody. And so when you're resolved, you can be steadfast on the outside. Some of the things that you've tried to change, the pet sin you have or a behavior that you're trying to get over, it's because you haven't won the war spiritually. And so therefore, you're not steadfast. But, but when you do, friend, you can be tough on the outside. Say amen, somebody. Number three, with an eternal perspective of heaven, you're going to take a lot of people with you when you die. <laughs> steadfast immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's for you, Christian. It's not for the preacher to go out there, all right, pastor, you got it. You're trying to kill me. <laughs> I can't do all the work alone. I need your help. Together we can make this difference. If it's all on me, I'm telling you, the revival's going to be postponed. <laughs> that or I'm going to have this serious heart to go evangelize the keys um, in Jesus' name. <laughs> but if all of us together can do something about it, we're going to take a lot of people to heaven with us. It's impossible for you to be mindful of heaven and to be unchristlike. When I think about eternity, when I think about heaven, when I think about how the Bible describes it, when I think about all of the things, and oh my gosh, I, I blew leaves this week, to think about not aching, not getting tired. Being able to be like, all right, boys, let's go play some more. Let's go swim. Let's go have a great time. Let's praise God. Let's talk to Jesus. When I think about Jesus, it changes how I live in the here and now. 
When my perspective is on heaven, it changes how I am. It changes who I am. And there's real meaning lent to my life. I'm going to read for you again C.S. Lewis. He says, The Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It's not, oh, you're a heavenly minded, so you're no earthly good. It's the opposite. It's the person that says, I'm going to be, I'm going to be focused on eternity. I'm going to be focused my whole life around it. I'm going to bring people with me. I'm not going to sweat small stuff because I know that my God has gold for asphalt. I'm going to have an eternal perspective in all things. That is where the difference is made. Church, heaven is real. And I'm sorry that preachers like me have not talked about it enough. We've done you no service. So in this month, we're going to answer questions. What will our lives be like in heaven? What will our relationships be like? What are we going to do when we get up there, Pastor Joe? Are are there going to be arts or entertainment or sports? Will we design or engineer or build things when we get there? What does God have for us? Will we see dreams fulfilled in heaven? Will we see lost opportunities regained when we get to heaven? Uh, What will we learn when we get there? Will we learn? My big question, what are we going to be eating when we get there? I heard there's a marriage supper of the lamb. My wife's bringing kibasa. I got the lasagna. See, lasagna would be a funny way of saying no. Okay. What are are our bodies going to be like? Will there be weather there? Will my pets be in heaven? A lot of people have questions about that. I want to give you just a little cheater on that. All your pets, cats are going straight to hell. I'm just telling you that right now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There is a dog, though, that I had when I was younger. I hope goes to hell. My lantern. Church, be heavenly minded. Set your hearts above on things to come. Set your hearts on the goodness of God, and we will see his glory in our lifetime. Together we will be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. By your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I thank you for your spirit. Lord, there's people in this room right now that they know they've been thinking about things that have been dragging them down. And even just talking about heaven has pulled them up. God, I pray that they don't leave this place to go back to those same thoughts before, that God, you would be the lifter of their head and they'd start to imagine heaven, to have an eternal perspective of the good things that you have. Lord, I know that people in the sound of my voice don't have a relationship with you. Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would, just for another minute. If you came into my room today and you say, Pastor Joe, I'm not right with God, whatever that means. We're going to pray in a second, and that can be taken care of. Jesus made a way. He's the Son of God. The Bible says this, that when we call Jesus Lord or boss over our life, I know many of you are tired of being the God over your own life. You're ready to give up. Perfect. When you call Jesus, Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. 
born again. Yes, you'll have an eternity in heaven. You'll avoid a Christless hell. Praise God. But that eternal life you're looking for, it starts today before you leave the room. The peace you're looking for is not something you can find in the world. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, church, I want to pray this with those that are praying this for the first time. Can we all pray it out loud? Pray, dear Heavenly Father, louder than that, dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for those people that accepted Christ? Wow. Guys, if you're wondering why a room full of people are cheering, is because we made that same decision, and we're so proud of you. I want you to take a bold next step. Now, if you came with somebody and you saw that they accepted Christ, and you peaked, I give you absolution. Get them. I'm not going to embarrass you and make you come to the front. You can have a public profession of your faith in baptism. But I want you to fill out that same connection card, that first-time visitors are, people with prayer requests, and let us know about the decision you made. Check that box that says, I accepted Christ. Here's why. I want to send you those next steps. God has great things for you, the least of which is to fill out that card today. Church, aren't we excited? One more time, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Awesome. Stand up on your feet, gang. Did you all get anything out of this message here today? I hope that you did, and I know this that this series is only going to build. I didn't even talk one little bit about how awesome heaven is when you get there, all of the plans God has. It's going to be an amazing couple of weeks. I would encourage you to bring somebody with you next week. People are curious about this stuff. Instead of giving them a DVD, well, oh gosh, I'm old. See, a DVD, uh, no, it was a small metallic disc we used to watch movies on. Instead of letting them watch Twilight on the Netflix why not have that spiritual itch be solved at church where we could talk about some real stuff that answers a lot of questions people have? Not casting shade on your vampire, but they need it. Praise God. After church today, we are having New Chapel Connect. If you've never been a part of it, listen, I'm going to be there today. I'm going to be teaching the class live today. I would encourage you to be there. This is how you join the church. This is how you take first steps on your journey of finding who God made you to be Hang out with us. We have lunch for everybody available as we dismiss. It's 15 minutes after. You can leave your kids back there. If you have a super young kid, you just like to hold them during the thing, that's fine. You can come in with your kid, but we've got Jimmy John's, Coke, and water. What more do you want in life? Uh, it's going to be a great time together. I would encourage you, if you've never been there, stay after. you got nothing better to do. It's freezing out. And then number two... Child dedications are coming up this month. If you've never dedicated your baby or young person, I'd even say if you've got like a 10-year-old or under. In fact, how about this? There's a handling charge, but if your teenager's rebellious and their first dedication didn't take, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> but there's a handling fee on that. But, but, but listen, 
sign your kids up over at guest services. We're going to have child dedication later this month. It's only going to build. Kai, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for the people. Y'all give it up for my beautiful bride. We love you guys. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, have a great week. See you next Sunday. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.